You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. I invite you to take what is a gift to us, the Word of God, before you and open it again to Mark chapter 14. As we look into this last section of Mark 14 today of this chapter, please pardon my sniffles and coughs. We'll work the sound guys here of not coughing in between much, but uh, I'm thankful to feel better. I, some of you experience this, don't you? Isn't it good to feel better when you've been sick? And I understand, I know some of you face that daily. And uh, may we look to the strength of God in that. Um, we're going to Mark 14. We're in verse 66 through 72. I'll read in a little bit. We have one picture from last week. We had a couple turned in. You can see the rest of the back. Uh, yeah, you can see it well up here. Uh, this is from Madison, our neighbor that came and drew. I don't think she's here today, but she drew this last week. No heart can't be mended. A really good 3D picture there of the, the broken heart being mended. That's what Christ does for sinners in death and sin. He mends hearts together. So appreciate Madison using her artistic ability for us there. We join this last section of chapter 14. <clears throat> kind of this, this large, big sandwich, if you will, of Mark where we've seen this prediction of Peter and his, his denial, his ultimate denial of Jesus, and now here it is. So let's read God's Word together. Um, I'll read it for you here. Verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's pray again. Father, I just ask again that you be over our time. Lord, give us ears to hear. Lord, give us feet to do, eyes to see, hands to work in ways that you want to through your spirit, through your word. So, We just pray you would use your word in our lives. Lord, convict where we need conviction. Comfort where comfort is needed today, Lord. And may we be those that desire to live our lives for you by your own grace. So guide us in your grace through our time and your word here. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps you can all think of various Christians you have known in the past. Maybe they looked strong, healthy, 
in control of their relationship with Jesus, and yet they blew it. Some Christians, they rise to a certain level even of popularity, famous, right? Successful for years. But then years later, we see them embroiled in some affair that we learn about. Or they've mishandled relationships. Or they've broken the qualifications of an elder. We don't see it in that leader. and We see this, this failure. Perhaps even you've seen closer friends to yourself, not just distant, but close friends who have appeared so strong in the faith only to see them fall away. And to personalize it, you might have your own questions even reading about Peter. What about me? If all these supposed strong ones around me have fallen, how am I going to fare? Or maybe you come today, I have no idea of everyone's heart, maybe you come today already fallen. You know you have failed to stay true to Jesus. Let me answer some of those questions, which at first will not sound very helpful, but I think it's where we need to start. Here's the fact. In you, you're right, you have no hope. You have no confidence in you. That's a good place to start. No matter how much you or I, how much we prepare or I'm going to study the Word more, I'm going to look out for temptation, our flesh remains weak. Even while I might exhibit, I've got a willing spirit to be strong. I want to serve the Lord. I'm going to follow. The account of Peter here that we've just read and we'll look at ought to give each of us some pause. If it were not for the gracious hand of our shepherd and Savior, we would be forever lost and without hope. So today from this passage, I want to kind of broadcast two streams or maybe a stream that leads to a fountain. One stream is a stream of godly grief. Godly grief, shame. Stream where we get a sense of Peter here, his his lostness, his eventual breakdown in realizing his own guilt and shame. We want to hear that come through. But then alongside that stream, or maybe that stream leads to a fountain, this fountain of grace in the midst of shame. It's not spelled out here, but I think it's there. And We don't want to come away from Peter's story saying, well, God forgave Peter. I guess it's okay. We're all human, right? He just kind of messed up. We want to see and we want to get a sense of the guilt. He denied his Lord and Master. And not just once, but three times. We want to get a sense of that grief in Peter. And then in our own lives, a sense of our own sin and grief for our sin before our Lord. And from that place, see God's grace do a work in us as it did in Peter. As we come to our text again, this scene actually, as I said, brings closure to this section on scattered sheep and a gracious, gracious shepherd. Jesus in Mark, it's Mark 14.30, he's already predicted this entire scene of Peter before us and we're seeing it fulfilled. It's unique here, I think, in this section. Uh, Jesus is not necessarily present here, is he? He's elsewhere. He's enduring the trial while Peter is out here in the courtyard. We're used to, in Mark 
most of the time being with Jesus. There's a couple parts where we maybe hear about the chief priests and their scheming and that sort of thing, but for the most part, we've been with them. Well, at this point, the focus is Peter and his life. And yet Jesus, we're going to see his physical presence is not here, but he is here. And we're going to see that towards the end. Let's get a picture of where we're at. Again, the trial of Jesus that we looked at last week is going on in one of the larger rooms. And Peter takes us to the scene of Peter below. Let me read verses 66 and 67 again. Peter, he's below in the courtyard. One of the servant girls of the high priest came. Seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. Uh, one commentator writes this of just this courtyard. What Help us visualize this. He says, typical of Roman villas and larger Mediterranean homes of the time, Caiaphas, I mean the high priest, Caiaphas, his courtyard would have been an open atrium enclosed by the rooms of the surrounding house. The reference to Peter below indicates that Jesus' trial took place in a room above the courtyard. Perhaps it was like the upper room where the disciples uh, had already met earlier that night. I, we have to believe, I think there's a large house. It's not just a small house they're in, large enough to accommodate all that have gathered in this trial and to try Jesus on this night. Historically, this site is attributed to the site of the church of St. Peter, Galacantu. I don't know if I'm even saying it right, on the southwest corner of the temple. We have some pictures of this. I just thought it's fun to show you, get an idea. This is supposed archaeologists are going to disagree where this place is. And, and these churches are, this is not Caiaphas's house. Uh, it didn't stay there. Uh, it's just on the site. And all these historical sites, many of them churches were built on all these historical sites. You find them most everywhere. But this is the church of St. Peter Galicantu, or however you say that there. Let's go on to the next one, maybe an idea of where it is. Here's just a map that comes from the ESV Study Bible, Garden of Gethsemane. You can see up in the kind of upper right, Mount of Olives, where they came. Um, if you see the temple, kind of the square here, the temple just southwest of that, if this is north, southwest is the palace of the high priest. So we're kind of southwest of the temple. I think, let's go to the next one. One more, okay. It's a little fuzzy here, but you can see kind of the, the temple structure, the whole temple in the courtyard, uh, the big pillars, and, and the, I think the southern steps there. So just to the southwest as that land kind of rises up, perhaps that's kind of where we're at, somewhere in that area uh, to get an idea. So Jesus, they've taken him from the garden. He's on trial. Here's Peter in the courtyard. I think that's all we have, right? That's all our pictures? Okay. That gives you an idea of where we're at. Question here, what, why is Peter here? What made Peter come back? They all fled. We remember reading that. And now Peter is back. And we read last week, there was that little vignette. He's back. He's warming himself with the fire with the guards. Why is he back? Was he feeling guilty? Was he repentant for running away? Well, perhaps he felt bad for leaving Jesus all alone. I, I think we see Peter on the fence here. He's interested enough. Remember, he's an interested observer. He's going to watch, but certainly not interested enough to actually enter and go testify and say, no, none of what you're saying, counsel, is true. 
None of these witnesses is true. This is who he is. And to stand up, that's not where we see Peter. He's not going to claim to have any part of this rebel. And so we might say, is Peter back? Well, he's there physically, but is he? And while he warms himself at the fire, perhaps he feels he's close enough to see what's going on, yet far enough away to not be in any danger. But it's only short-lived, isn't it? Because this servant girl comes. Here comes this servant girl, servant of the high priest. Um, one commentator thinks this servant girl with, the, with kind of the title of servant girl is, is um, emphasizing her social insignificance and points out, here's what the commentator says, hardly a person for Peter to be afraid of. So here's this servant girl. You'd think maybe with her, Peter, maybe he would feel bold enough to say, Yes, I'm with you. She's come asking. You were with him. You were with the Nazarene, Jesus. Maybe with her. We're going to find that's not the case. She looks at him, and she gazes earnestly at him. And she says, you. There's There's a double in the Greek here. You, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. She's looking at him. She's accusing him. You're with this man on trial upstairs. What does that mean for Peter? Well, probably you ought to be held as well. You're part of this group. Perhaps Peter perceives this danger. Whatever danger Peter perceives, we find his response in verse 68. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. Essentially, Peter is saying, No comprende. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea. I, I'm just here. I don't, maybe he's saying, I'm looking for a warm fire. I don't know what, what he's meaning, but he's saying, I don't know what you're talking about. And what has he done wrong here already? Well, he's broken the ninth commandment. It says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Or even specifically, Leviticus 19.11 says, you shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. Peter know who Jesus is? Does he know Jesus the Nazarene? Absolutely. He's just lied about it. And further, he's denied this knowledge. Not just the lie, but Peter has denied his Lord. Remember the words from Mark 8.38. Jesus said these words, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Peter is going down a road of denial to be ashamed of the name of Jesus that has grave consequences to it. So Peter, seeking to evade more questions perhaps, he goes from the courtyard area closer to, I think, the gateway of the compound, perhaps kind of near where the street, if you will, where maybe closer to the outside area here perhaps i've read perhaps this idea this place where he was offered less lighting maybe he's away from the fire and maybe in the more in the shadows and in the darkness and hopefully more people are not going to recognize him perhaps he's by the gateway in case this thing goes south and more accusations come he's right by the gate and he's on his way again and we're back to fleeing again we don't know but peter For most of Mark, we've seen Peter as one of the 
insiders. He's been, right, he's been with Jesus at the transfiguration. He's been with Jesus even praying the nearest to him on this very night. Peter has been one of these closest. He said, you are the Christ. He's been close. And yet here Peter is drifting and on his way towards one of the outsiders on the fringe of following Jesus. Now, if you're in the ESV, you're going to read at the end of verse 68 that the rooster crowed. Maybe perhaps many of you have this in there. There is a textual note here that says some manuscripts don't have this in there. Some do. Remember, we're looking at Scripture from it's an eclectic group of manuscripts. That is, it's more than just one copy we're looking at of where our New Testament is coming from, multiple ones. And so we're looking through all these different manuscripts and saying, okay, this one has a rooster crowing, this one doesn't, this one does, and so forth, and looking at them. And so the translators are saying, okay, in this case, the ESV is saying, we think that the majority or what we think the rooster crowed. Um, I'm going to attend, and this is just, I think, small level because we're dealing with a rooster crowed, but if you look at the other gospel accounts, everyone has this story, every and by that I mean Matthew and Luke and John, the other Gospels, have this story of Peter and his denial. None of them have, none of them have the rooster crowing twice. It's kind of a, um, it's a, oh, what would you say, a contended um, with the manuscripts. Even where Jesus predicts it beforehand, even there it's kind of suspect, was this part of it or not? And so this phrase, and so I would tend to say I don't, think the rooster crowed here. I think it crowed, but how many times does a rooster crow? I mean, I don't, I never, some of you know roosters more. They don't just crow once. I think they grow more than once. So twice, whatever. But letting you know that, so as you look through your scripture, we're going we're gonna to face it at the end of Mark. If you've read ahead, we're going to look at this textual criticism is what it's done. Criticism does not mean we're looking and saying, let's just pull out parts of the Bible that we don't like. That's not what we're doing. We're looking and examining the manuscripts to see, can we get the most accurate reading and text? And I think if the other Gospels don't have this, I think for me, that's the most accurate. Well, beyond that, the, the trial for Peter here does not cease with his going to the gateway. The persistence of this servant girl is going to go on. Look at verse 69. I'll read just into verse 70 here. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. I mean, she will not let up. She begins to discuss this now with the others who are standing around the fire. This is one of them. So before, this was just perhaps a private confrontation for this servant girl. I, you were with him. No, I wasn't. Now, hey guys, this... This guy, he was one of them. And now this whole public group is involved in this denial. Peter now is standing before others. Do you see just the, the snowball effect of the denial? One place, it snowballs. Now he's got a public forum. And he can say, yes, I'm with him. No, I'm not. And what does Peter do? He denies it again. The second part of verse 70 really brings into focus these bystanders. So we're kind of leaving now the servant girl. Now we're hearing from this group gathered around because it says after a little while. So how long that was? 
We don't know. It's after a little while. They began to question. Maybe they had discussed it among themselves. Uh, maybe they were trying to put the pieces together. Don't you think? I don't, yeah, I saw him here. Wasn't he the guy that cut the ear? I think so. It was dark. And, and they're, they're conversating. They're trying to figure this thing out. And they do because they accuse him. Certainly, you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. That's how verse 70 ends. How would they know this? How do they know Peter's from Galilee? One commentary says Galilean accents differed from Judean accents, certainly in Aramaic and presumably, as undoubtedly here in Greek. The high priest servants and temple guard would have lived in Jerusalem and regarded themselves as Judeans. So there was two distinct groups, the Judeans listening, and then there's the Galileans. It's kind of like if I said to you, Y'all want some sweet tea. Where am I from? Probably the south, right? It, you just, you know it. So I don't think Peter had a southern accent. We don't know what he had. Uh, but I think they could tie in to that accent. Same as if some northerners went down south and we were really excited about something and we said, yeah, sure, you betcha. They would know where we were from. There's that, I, that's that accent idea going on. And I think these guys knew course, we don't have any recordings from the time that came much later. So we're, we're going off of here that there was some accent that clued them in. This is a Galilean. And they nailed it, didn't they? They were, they were right. Absolutely right. Peter knew it. He was a Galilean. He was one of them. But in weakness, he digs in all the more to deny any connection for the sake of what? Not for the sake of the name, but for his own preservation, his own self. Look at verse 71. He's digging deep now. He began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. I don't think this is like what we would think in modern times. I don't think Peter is using bad language, not cursing in that way. I think the idea here is cursing him swell in himself, swearing like, cursed be me if I'm not telling you the truth. Curses on me if I'm not saying this truly. I swear this is the truth. I don't know him. Now, one commentator also offers an alternate since we're looking at the text, a curse on himself. Translators put in there on himself as to invoke a curse on himself as kind of the the uh, who did he curse himself one suggests perhaps here peter was even cursing jesus and instead of cursing himself he was even cursing jesus i don't know that man curses be on him either way it's his flat out denial that he knows him and it's a climax of the denials for peter His, his, the way he says, uh, I do not know this man of whom you speak, has with it the idea of, I have not nor continue to know this man. I've never known him. I don't know him now. I continue to not know this one of who you speak. I'm not with him. And it's the third denial, and I think the most potent. Peter is willing to either curse himself 
or even Jesus to get this idea across. I'm not with him. And then it comes. A sound echoing through the night. It's the sound of a rooster. Verse 72. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. You remember in Mark 8, Jesus had asked, who do you say I am? Peter had answered, you are the Christ. And then as we've seen Mark 14 earlier, Peter proclaimed, even though they all fall away, I will not, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And yet we find Peter here. He's denied him three times. He's cursed himself by an oath, or perhaps even worse, cursed his master. And this chapter ends with weeping. Peter breaks down and cries. The, the wording of that he broke down is, I think that idea, we've seen it earlier, where Jesus was out in the sea with the, the disciples and the waves were breaking over the side of the ship. It's that idea of breaking over. Same word there, same wording. Uh, really, the waves of Peter's failure have broke over him. And why? Because he failed. He said he would. He said he wouldn't fail. He'd protect Jesus. I will die with you. And here he is denying him. He couldn't even speak up for him, let alone die for Jesus. I think as we look on Peter, we face, and I think must face, our own weaknesses as fellow disciples of Jesus. Willing in our spirit, as, as Mark has already, Jesus has told us about in, the, in his prayer time in Gethsemane, willing to follow. We don't want to fall away, and yet the reality, we're prone to scatter and flee when we're faced with a choice of proclaiming Jesus or preserving our own reputation and self. There's a stream of grief and shame. And I think it's fitting for us to say, is that where we're at in our sin? Is there a godly grief in our sin that we say, when I've sinned, I've gone against my Lord and Savior? But on this night, in the midst of Peter's great weakness, we're going to see as well God's great grace. I think in one sense, grace abounds in the darkness here of Peter's denial. And you might ask, how so? And uh, I'm just thankful. Those in the parenting class, this is, um, I'm not stealing any material here from Paul Tripp, but rather I'm encouraged again of the idea of God's grace working through some of the worst situations. That's where I come to this and say, I think God's grace is at work here. He's triumphing in grace. First off, in verse 72, God's grace sends a rooster. A rooster comes. Kids, I need your help. I thought about showing a YouTube video just for us to hear a crowing. It's good to hear a rooster crow. Kids, are you with me? Tell us, help us understand what a rooster sounds like. Just give your best crow. Be bold. Just give it out loud. 
There's one. Come on. Yeah. Give me a few more. Good. And God used a sound like that as God's grace. Why? Remember what? Look in the text. What happens when he hears the rooster? He remembers. He remembers the words of Jesus. God, I think, brings to remembrance through a rooster of all things. Right? He can use donkeys. He can use all sorts of things. But he uses a rooster to bring Peter back. And all of a sudden, he hears the crowing like we just heard. And he's brought to Jesus' prediction that you will deny me three times. One, two. And Peter sees it and he remembers. Why is that grace? Because God's at work. Because where does Peter go from here? He's breaking down and he's weeping to lead him back to remember these words, to remember Jesus. There's other grace. Now, it's not mentioned here in this verse, but in Luke's account, you can go there if you want. It's Luke 22, 31 through 34. Here's Luke's account of this denial. Listen to Jesus. He's in the midst of Jesus. Uh, he's going to predict again. The rooster is going to crow, Peter. You're going to deny me three times. But here's what also Jesus had told Peter, before he talks about the denial, listen to Jesus' gracious words. Simon, Simon, I think this is, must be verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And then Peter says, well, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus says, no, I tell you, tonight you're going to deny me. Jesus has prayed for Peter for this moment. There's grace going on. God's grace in a moment of Peter's weakness and sin. Don't take that away. You don't want to look at this as just, it's okay. I guess it's okay to deny. It'll all turn out. Peter has sinned greatly. And yet God's grace is coming greatly into the situation. And so at the end of our passage in Mark, we've already talked about Peter breaks down and weeps. And I think, too, this is a breaking through of God's grace. 2 Corinthians 7, you can write that down. 2 Corinthians 7 talks about a godly grief that leads to repentance. Are you in grief over sin? Praise God. Praise God that you're not looking at your sin and you're okay with it. That's not godly grief. It's to look at our sin and go, I've sinned against a holy God. I've gone against what He's proclaimed for me to do and His ways. I've denied Him. And there's, there should be a grieving to that. It's a godly grief that leads to or produces repentance. Charles Spurgeon, I think I've spoken the quote before, he says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Read it again. I have learned to kiss the wave. Peter has a big wave coming, and it's breaking on him to kiss the wave that leads Peter where? Back to the rock of ages. 
And just look at this. We've got to know a little Paul Harvey rest of the story. So go with me to Mark 16. We're jumping ahead. Just go to verse 7. We're going to get here eventually. But Jesus has been raised from the dead. The two Marys are at the tomb. They're seeing the young man. He's dressed in white. And here's what he says in Mark 16, 7 to these two women. But go... And just look at the wording here. Go tell his disciples, yes, those all that had fled away, and who? And Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. The message is to Peter and the disciples, but to Peter, you have failed, but I'm going before you. Come see me. There's grace. I think this event, I think, changed. This event of the sin And the grace of our Lord changed Peter. And now just jump a little further and go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, I'll start in verse 5. Because here we see another opportunity, another trial. And Peter is there. And how will he respond? This one who has denied three times, brought curses on himself or cursed Jesus, however it is. He is now Peter by God's grace who proclaims something. Look at verse 5. I believe it's Peter and uh, John here before this this council. Verse 5 of Acts chapter 4. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Here he is again. Another trial. Verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Based on where we're at in Mark, what would our expectation be? I don't know him anymore. Peter's been changed. Verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, they had healed somebody, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. He's changed and grace came to Peter. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God's grace was at work in a rooster and in a remembrance and in a weeping and by the Spirit to bring Peter Back to Jesus. And look at, I mean, even verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. There's much hope for fellow disciples like Peter. Back to his night that we've been looking at in Mark He had a willing spirit, even on that same night, to die for the sake of protecting Jesus. And yet we find him where we're at in Mark 14, a million miles away at the break of dawn, denying him. The night has exposed the deity of Jesus in the trial. I am. 
and has exposed the frailty, I think, of all those who would follow him. I think we need to remember that God's grace not only begins our journey to see Jesus, it sustains our journey and ultimately leads us to the end of our journey to glory with the Lord forever. If not for grace, we are doomed to failure. Listen to the the tune we're so familiar with. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. So I ask, for you, for me, are there any roosters crowing in your life? Any sounds? You might say some days, my kids or my wife sounds like a rooster. Are they speaking in a way that you say, whoa, where am I at as a father and husband? Or ladies, you might say, this person or my husband sounds like a rooster. It's just, ah, it's a crowing. Is God using that situation or wherever you're at? Is there some crowing going on that can bring you back to the Savior again and to His grace? We want to follow that stream of grief. And may we be grieved over our sin. May we not be okay with it. And let that stream lead us to the fountain that we've sung about, the fountain of blood shed for sinners by His grace. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank You for this particular passage of Scripture that shows us the reality of discipleship, the reality of our frailty, the reality of speaking words of commitment and valor and bravery only to find ourselves denying You at a place where we thought we would proclaim You. Father, would You move in us that in our workplaces, in our families, amongst relatives, amongst events we're at, people we will meet through our daily lives, people within our own family, our own body here at Bethany. Lord, I'm praying each one of us would have a godly grief over our sin. We would never be okay. It would never be a respectable sin, as one author calls them. That we would hate our sin. We would weep over the wickedness that we still find that we fight against. And Lord, may that godly grief lead us to repentance and to the grace that you offer in Jesus Christ. For those that would confess their sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. Lord, please lead us by your grace, we pray.